and I, I realized, and I came up with a little saying that I have in my head when I, when I do teach, is the more you teach, the more you learn, because, you know, the more you give, the more you receive. It kind of goes hand in hand with that. That's the voice of Ramon Valdez, owner of Ramon Valdez Fine Furniture. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project, to getting paid, to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Ramon Valdez, owner of the northern New Mexico-based furniture company, Ramon Valdez Fine Furniture. Ramon has been in the furniture business for over 40 years. And in that time, he has worked in every aspect of the industry, from running a 30-person cabinet company to being a one-person boutique furniture shop. And he's also worked in most of the spots in between as well. Having such an extensive breadth of the industry, Ramon's interview is a true reflection of someone who has walked the walk. He has spent his life in the furniture business, and when we sat down to talk, instead of going into the technical side of the business, although we do talk on that as well, I truly want this episode to be a real look into someone who has made their life in the furniture business. So let's get into it, and what better place to start than from the beginning? with how Ramon got into the furniture business in the first place. Well, okay, I'm going to give you a warning. I am old, so this could be a long journey, but it was probably, it, it was early 80s, uh, actually 1980. I was a sophomore in high school, and I went to work for a cabinet shop that my brother worked at, uh, during the summer just to, you know, make some extra bucks or something. And it was kind of cool, but uh, it wasn't really my my future plans. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. And then in 82, as a senior, I had almost all my credits. I only needed a few classes. Uh, but some of the new classes that popped up were computer math, computer programming, computer science. And I, I signed up for all three of those. I thought this is going to be the direction I want to go. Computers were relatively new at the time. I told you I was old. And so that's, that was my goal. Well, when the class, when the next year rolled around, they didn't have the teachers available for those classes. They were brand new and they dropped the classes. So I ended up getting a bunch of work release as a senior and I went to work for this cabinet shop and I actually fell in love with building and creating and working with my hands. I had always, you know, worked with my hands. My dad was a, a master machinist. He had his own his own business. And so we were always building stuff, you know, as a kid, I thought that every dad was able to build anything he needed. Cause that was my dad. He would just, Oh, I need this and we'll just make it. You know, he would just make whatever it was, whether it was specialized or something that he could buy off the shelf, he would make it, it would be better and stronger. And so I just thought that's how it was. So as I was working in this cabinet shop, I really realized I love doing this. And so I, I did that for quite a while. 
I ended up um, starting my own shop years later and did a lot of commercial casework. Uh, for those that don't know, it's a lot of Formica and, you know, for schools, banks, that type of that type of work. And it wasn't um, it wasn't exactly, you know, tapping into my creative side, but I love the challenges of, you know, making the processes more efficient and all that. I ended up getting a GB98, which is a general contractor's license. So I started building houses. We were um, doing, you know, erecting commercial buildings. Uh, we were um, making trim packages for contractor and a lot of different things. I was kind of all over the place at the time, just, you know, doing whatever came through the door. And then I started to realize I could focus on and pick and choose what I wanted to do. And it started going toward the higher end cabinetry pieces that we were making, credenzas and built-ins. And then that kind of evolved into furniture, true furniture with quality joinery. I was really liking that. And that was in oh, right around 2000 sometime. And I did that for about six, seven years. Uh, somewhere along the line, I think 2005, I went to Anderson Ranch um, up in Aspen, Colorado. And they, it's a woodwork, it's, a, it's an art school. They have a lot of different crafts, but the woodworking program is, is uh, second to none. It was uh, fantastic. They've had some amazing teachers. And that first class in 2005, I studied with Craig Vandal Stevens and I learned the art of marquetry. Because back then I was doing inlay and I was just fascinated with the contrast of all these beautiful woods. And the, the more I you know, thumbed through the pages of fine woodworking or wherever I could see marquetry, I was just blown away by by what some of these artists were doing especially some of these older you know pieces 400 years old from from Italy and France and I just loved that so I did that class and I came back from Anderson Ranch with a whole new perspective I was gonna build furniture for a living <laughs> and and I did that for about a year and I was selling through a gallery out of Shadoni down in Santa Fe near me. And Santa Fe, for those that don't know, it's uh, it's an art, it's, it's a huge uh, art. Um, just tons of galleries and, you know, world-renowned, international. And I was selling out of Shadoni and everything I made would sell. I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. And I thought, man, I have landed in heaven. This is amazing. And I did that for quite a while, but I was, starting to realize that I was getting a little bit burned out working all the time doing that. Even though I loved doing it, it was a challenge. And um, for some reason, one of my brothers, uh, he, had a, he had a big commercial shop, casework shop, and he was asking me if I would go to work for them. And I really didn't want to do that. You know, I was happy doing what I was doing, except for the it, it was getting kind of stressful. Um, and there were times when I was selling a lot of pieces and trying to keep up with that, but I was building a lot of speculative pieces too. And sometimes those wouldn't sell. And so there would be, you know, big lulls in time where I wasn't, um, you know, selling anything. And so I really didn't have anything else to fall back on. 
So I contemplated this offer from my brother to go work for him and they kept on offering more and more. And he said, you know, we would have you running the shop as a production manager. They didn't, they were growing and they were um, struggling to keep up. And I thought, you know what, this would be a good challenge for me, a good growth. And so I accepted that position as production manager. And man, it was, I'll tell you what, the first few months I was, I used to tell my, my beautiful wife, I'm like, I have no idea what I did. Because they were leaning heavily on me to keep production going and, and make it move faster and more efficient. And that's, that's the name of the game in a, in a production shop. There was 25 to 30 employees. We had um, edge banders and uh, sliding table saws. And you know it's pretty it's pretty old school. No no CNC technology at the time, but we were moving a lot of material. That so we would we would go through two units of melamine a week. You know for a shop in this area that was that was pretty that was a pretty big shop. And you know it was a, it was a daunting task for me trying to dive into something like that that I didn't really I wasn't really familiar with. And my brother kind of just handed over the reins and, and, you know, he had his own thing to do. And, you know, I used to, I used to uh, compare it as, you know, it was a, it was a, a curse and then it turned into a blessing. So, you know, because I, as I mentioned, initially I was, I was overwhelmed, but uh, I realized I could delegate authority and responsibility to these key employees. And I could, you know, and I could give raises and I, and I started to notice, you know, a new sense of pride and all this, this fresh desire to make the shop run more efficiently. And, you know, I started to build on that. And it was amazing, you know, uh, I could utilize each, each one of these employees, their skills and their strengths. And, you know, this dramatically lightened my load and, and made me think, okay, I'm, I'm onto something here. And that place was humming. They were doing a lot of work. We were doing a lot of work and we started, uh, we're in New Mexico, Northern New Mexico. We started working in Colorado, um, Utah, um, Nevada and Arizona. So, and Texas a couple of times. So we, we were really growing. Uh, and then in 2018, I'm gonna fast forward quite a bit. Uh, my brother had a partner at the time and <clears throat> they were starting to butt heads. They'd been in business quite a while. My brother decided that he was gonna he was gonna step out. At the time, I I was uh, getting involved with Instagram and I was you know working a lot after after hours working on my own stuff. Still doing commissions. I had always done commissions, you know, since um, since early uh, 1980 probably or even earlier than that. Uh, so, but I was always doing commissions. And I just thought through Instagram, maybe I can make this a business. I thought it, uh, I was starting to get some followers and I was starting to get known for my jigs and fixtures. Uh, I don't even remember when I started doing the domino dock. It's been quite a, maybe six years ago. So I started, I was, by then, by 2018, I was, uh, um, this kind of went off on a tangent, didn't it? <laughs> it did a little bit. It did a little bit, which is, which is fine. Let's uh, pull back into 2018. 
And so it's 2018 and you have decided to go out on your own and, and start your own company again, I guess, for the fourth or fifth time in your actually, career. Actually, but... th this would be the actual second time, I, you know, that I was on my uh, third time. So I, I had I had a shop in Farmington. Well, yeah, the second time, third uh, third location, basically. So, you know, I, I was a little nervous, but um, I am in a unique situation where because of my age and I don't have to work a lot like if I was raising a family. My, I have two, two beautiful boys, Darren and Derek, they're grown men now and they've been gone for quite a while. Um, when I was working with my brother, running this commercial shop, we were making we were making a lot of money. I invested in some real estate. We had, we had some rentals. We had um, an apartment complex and did pretty good. That was uh, something that I just did on the side and really didn't know a lot about it, but I just thought uh, this is probably a good idea. Everybody talks about real estate. Let's see what the big talk is about. So did that for, a, for quite, a, quite a while. And so in 2018, when my brother decided to leave uh, Ultraform was the name of that company and go out on his own, I thought, well, I don't really want to be there if my brother's not there because I was there because of my brother. And so I thought, I'm going to just go out on my own. See, we'll see what happens. And, you know, it evolved into the, the commissions, the furniture commissions, kind of a higher end pieces. You know, it's a select group of clients. I don't build cabinets anymore. I don't do countertops. It's primarily what we were doing back then with with uh, the commercial casework and ultraform. But, uh, you know, it turned into a lot of different jigs and fixtures. It's, it's really interesting. You know, I have the, the, the domino docks and I have zero clearance inserts for for the uh, K3 um, sliding table saw. I, I sell a Delta Unifence assembly. I make these little vice wedges, all and the domino deck, which is this aluminum 90 degree platform for the Festool domino. All these jigs and fixtures are something that I needed at some point. And with people seeing them on Instagram, it fed into this, you know, slowly growing business. And so, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, I, I couldn't have created this with, with, uh, with a plan. <laughs> That's what's kind of funny about it. I just, dove in being passionate about what i wanted being fortunate where i didn't have to uh you know work like crazy to have money on the on you know on the table every week and so as i mentioned earlier i'm in a little bit of a unique um position but um looking back I, it, it could have been done by anybody whether you had you know the money from real estate or not if that makes sense. Yeah, it it all it all makes sense. And it is <clears throat> as you as you warned us all at the beginning, it is quite a journey, but it is an exciting journey. And you you definitely saw every different side of the industry and, and such a, a contrast because I know shops that work in formica and and office furniture and batch out furniture like that and i've also been to 
those Santa Fe galleries, the furniture galleries mm. that you talk mm. about and have seen the beautiful work that's there. So your career is definitely one of, of contrast, but both of those sides came together to make you who you are today in the industry. And we could definitely talk about your time running that big shop uh, many years ago, but I'd really like to talk about what you're doing now. And before it was definitely a commercial shop, but now it is a, it is back to an artistic shop and uh, artistic furniture. And, and you view the furniture you make now as, as art and yourself as an artist. If people ask you what you do, you call yourself the, the artist owner of your company and, and you call your furniture functional art. And, and the word art is very much forward in, in, in the mind of your brand. So the idea of, of art and business don't always mix well. And you've been doing this for a long time. And, and I have to imagine that you found a good balance between the business side and the art side, which is what a lot of people who are starting out struggle with. So can you talk a little bit about how you've been able to balance both sides and how you have been able to still make a living while feeling that you're you're staying true to that artistic passion pursuit you know that is a really it's a tough question it, it's it's hard for me to answer specifically because there's so many different aspects of it you know people that want to build furniture you know i, I tell people if, if you want to make a lot of money and you want to build furniture you should do you should figure out a different way to make a lot of money and then come back and build furniture. Because if you're jumping into something head first, I'm going to build furniture, I'm going to make a lot of money, you're going to be working a lot. And you you may get lucky and, and pull that off. Some people do. You know, they find the right niche. They might be in the right uh, geographic location. They might have clientele already known or connected. There's a lot of uh, different, you know, factors that would play into that but for me you know I I want to I want to build furniture but I don't want I knew I didn't want to build furniture full-time I love jigs and fixtures and developing processes and and you know putting all that together that's just kind of how my brain works and probably due in part to being a production manager for all those years and I like doing that. And I I never really wanted to build furniture full time, except for when I was selling that one year at Shadoni Gallery and everything I made was selling. It was like, boom, boom, boom. But when that slowed down, it made me rethink, like this might not be able to sustain. And everything has changed since then. You know, it. Um, I think there are more furniture makers now than ever that are being discovered via you know the internet and social media and you know uh, I, I truly believe that's why a lot of uh the, the prices of, of lumber and exotic species have gone up because there's more people doing it there's a bigger demand it ties right in with demand and supply and i think it's also amazing that there's more handmade now there's more handmade because of social media. People are like, wow, look what this guy's doing. That's cool. And he or she starts doing that. 
and they evolve that into a business. And I think that's an amazing thing when you can find something that you love, you hear this all the time and you know, it's, it's not work because you just love doing it. But the balance between loving what you do and the business side, that's a very fine line. Um, I'm very fortunate. My wife helps me a lot with the business side and you know, we have a, we hired an accountant, which is also a huge help, you know, so you're not, you know, in the office struggling over these forms and documents and different aspects of taxes and all that when your mind is wanting to be out in the shop creating. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of different directions. And then, you know, when you think, when you talk about employees, it's another aspect. I decided that I didn't want to have any employees because let's, let's face it. I get bored easily with a project. And not a specific, if I'm working on a specific project, I am on that to the end. I don't get bored with, with that. But when that project's done, I might not want to work on another project. I might want to work on, I'm always at my dad's shop. He has a machine shop. He's not, he's not there anymore. Uh, but, you know, my brother and I are always out there working on stuff. And so working on, on, on different things uh, is it's really important to me. So, you know, it's hard for me to give advice to somebody starting out because my goals and desires and uh, as it comes, as related to woodworking is going to be different, but it, it can be done. I mean, you see people doing it all the time. I think the big focus is on establishing good, trustworthy relationships and with good clientele. That's really important. Because those will be, or they can be, repeat customers. And if you have, you know, a, a handful of those, man, that'll make a big difference. Um, speculative pieces, I think that ha that whole world has changed. Galleries are, seem to be slowing down a little bit. And, you know, making speculative pieces of furniture and putting them in galleries, you might be, you might be waiting a while. I think a lot of people have pulled their work from galleries and they have just made their own website. They have their, they have their own galleries online and, you know, it's gone in a different direction, but um, it's, it's still a, it's still an amazing journey that I've had. I've, I've tried to go to school uh, or, or not school, but uh, take, take classes to learn aspects that, uh, that I'm interested in. I studied with um, Michael Fortune in 2007, also up at Anderson Ranch. And uh, then in 2012, I took uh, about a week-long marketry class with Silas Kopp, which was really fascinating. It was a different process than that I had learned from Craig Van der Stevens. Uh, but I've kind of melded the two and, and put in my own, my own aspect of it to develop my own method of, of marketry, which is um, it works for me and so i think it's important to always be learning and growing in that regard in the art in the in the artisan side the artistic side and then you know the business side there's a lot to learn there but if you can hire some of that out um you know my wife helps me uh, an accountant helps me if i have questions i can ask my brother he's he's pretty knowledgeable in the on the business end but uh it's, 
it's a lot. You you have to you have to love all of it, and and you know that's the that's the best way to to move forward with something like that in any business, really, right? It is it is a lot. Having a furniture business is a lot to handle, and there is the building side. There's the marketing side. There is the back end numbers side, and. I agree. You don't always have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to those different sides of it. If you are good at one side and you don't want to take on the accounting side, there are people who love the accounting side and don't want to build the furniture. And there is no shame in and and more, more than no shame. It is actually usually the smart move to talk to somebody who knows more about a topic than you do and to get that advice or to hire that person on because you don't need to wear every single hat in a business. You need to understand the different hats, but you don't need to be every single position in your company. There's an opportunity to do the things you love and you're good at and to send that other stuff out. And I'm sure over the years in the different businesses and different iterations of, of furniture making that you've seen, you, you understand that all too well. Yeah. That's uh, very well put about the different hats and, and, you know, hiring out somebody else to do an aspect of, of the furniture that you're not comfortable with, whether it's, you know, a piece of stained glass or, or maybe some marquetry or whatever. I've, I've done a lot of uh, little marquetry pieces for different furniture people that um, have either incorporated them into a piece of furniture that they were making or even name tags for their workbenches. But um, yeah, just there is no shame in that, you know, and, and a lot of this is a learning process for me. And I, I, I didn't realize that before I got involved with Instagram, there is so much information that you learn, you start to realize Wow, you know, I, uh, you know, so, so, as a matter of fact, uh, Phil Morley uh, had wanted to learn marketry, and I sent him one of my marketry classes. I have a marketry class 101, and he realized that, you know, this is a lot. He, he could definitely sit down and learn that, but really that hand-eye coordination of doing marketry for years is where you have to be in order to pull off. Uh, something very technical that's gonna that's going to go in a piece that that matches his work, and he he realized that, and I thought that was amazing and humble of him to say, you know what, I want you to do this, you create this uh, marquetry motif for my for my work. I loved that. I absolutely loved that. It was it was a huge honor for me, and uh, a little nervous making. <laughs> But I thought that was amazing, and and I, and it, it dawned on me as you mentioned that you know that you, you don't have to, you don't have to wear all those hats, you know, you recognize and, and be aware of all those hats, as, and um, you know, let somebody else do some of that that you're not comfortable with. And for me, accounting and taxes is definitely one that I am not comfortable with. Now let's take a step back to what you were talking about before when you said, I don't want to do furniture full-time, or I don't want to be a, a full-time 
furniture maker, but you are building furniture for clients and you take commissions and you build furniture. You also do a lot of other things. You teach classes and you have your jigs and fixtures that you work on and you do things on social media. And I don't see that being something separate from being a full-time furniture maker. I, I see the, the idea of being a furniture maker as something that has expanded with the world around it, that mm. these things now, the teaching the classes and the having side hustle, quote unquote, of doing the jigs and fixtures and, and going to events, I see that all as being the modern furniture maker. So while you say you don't want to do it full time, I see that all wrapped up into being full time working for yourself, having your own business. And, and all of that feeds back into having a furniture business. And yeah, I'm, I may have worded that incorrectly. I It's not that I I guess what that relates to is when I was doing it full time and I was stressed over the, the, you know, the lulls of not selling. And, and in addition to that is that I like doing other things. So I probably worded that incorrectly. It's not that I don't want to do it full time. And you're right, you know, being a furniture or a modern day furniture maker encompasses a lot of different aspects, especially now with social media, because, you know, as uh, you know, I have a YouTube channel now, which is, uh, you know, takes a lot of time and hopefully that'll grow into something lucrative. Uh, but, you know, the bottom line is, you know, a lot of people ask me about, you know, the, the money side of, of Instagram and, and YouTube and, and those aspects of, of creating money. Bottom line for me is I love, I absolutely love sharing and showing processes that work for me. And I think that goes back to the years of being a production manager and working with these employees and showing them, yeah, look, what you're doing there is working, but let's try this and this. And, you know, when the light bulb would go off in their head or, you know, I would ask, get all the guys together and girls, we had girls there too, get them all together in a group and say, okay, we have this problem. And I already knew what the answer was, what a good approach would be to, to solve this problem. But I would fish, you know, kind of backhanded to where I would pull it out of them. And when somebody came up with the idea, I would, I would make it all their own. Whether I, you know, I already knew that was the right answer. I just fished it out of them. I love that. When, when they saw, uh, you know, they had this aha moment. I love that. And so today, when I share something on Instagram, it's because I love sharing what works, what works for me. And, and it has evolved into, um, you know, part of my business. And, you know, I used to get asked a lot or DM'd or in the comments, dude, you should write a book. You should write a book. And so I do. I have uh, an ebook. My Tricks of the Trade ebook has been out about a year. I'm getting ready to launch volume two. I have just about enough footage and tips and tricks for about five or maybe six volumes. Um, currently editing volume two. So, you know, you never know the direction that something's going to go, but being passionate about what you're doing is really important. Somebody told me once, if you follow your passion, the money will come as a byproduct. <laughs> I was like, wow, 
how interesting is that? And I mean, you see it all the time, especially with the means of social media. I mean, that can be a huge, very powerful way to to make money. Um, you know, with whether it's sponsorship or or just different different avenues that you probably wouldn't have thought of trying to think of it on your own. But you're you know, I'm 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 sharing all these tips and tricks and and now I have these these ebooks in the making and you know I love that I love that um that, that possibility that a lot of blue sky with with today's um you know with the tools that we have today that just really wasn't available 20 years ago um, but a lot of different a lot of different aspects and it's all woodworking related that's the beauty of, of following your passion yeah I 100% agree about the following your passion and I want to I want to get into that but I also want to say that going back to what we were just talking about the modern woodworker and this idea of being on social media or teaching classes being separate than furniture making it is just it, it is the same as a, a master woodworker years ago taking on apprentices and it mm. is it's the same concept and you bring people in to your shop and you teach them and they give back to your business and this is just a bigger scale this is just the the new age of apprenticeships where people all over the world now can tune in to your different social media channels or, or your different talks and learn from you and you get back maybe not time in your shop, but you can get back money from that and you can get back respect from that. And it's, it's just a new version of the apprenticeship. And going now forward again to where we were talking about the passion, I 100% agree that if you follow your passion money will come. But I also have to, to push back a little bit on that, that there are a lot of people who follow their passion. And if they don't have a direction to put that, then they aren't always successful. Yes, there are people mm -hmm. who, who blindly run through the woods just following their dreams who are wildly successful beyond measure. And then for every person there is that does that, there is also hundreds, thousands of people who do that same thing, but they don't end up with the same results. So there, I, I never want to tell people not to follow their passion and not to follow their dreams, but you always have to remember that you have to put in the work and, and somebody like you, your resume and your journey, you've put in the work to be able to follow your dreams. It wasn't just an overnight thing. You, you grew that business and you grew that respect and you grew that, that knowledge to be able to now pursue your passion. Yeah, that is, that is true. I, I do know some very talented individuals in different arenas that aren't exactly successful. Uh, and, it does make you wonder what are the key ingredients. I mean, I guess if it was a mag magic potion that we could share, it would be easy. But uh, 
it, it definitely is more than passion. I, I would like to add uh, passion, persistence, and patience, maybe the, the three Ps. But it, it could be more than that. I mean, there's there's probably some luck, there's uh, demographics, your location, people you know, um, your your social media and how you connect, marketing. I mean, there's a lot to it. And I, you know, I, I don't have a an exact recipe. I don't know if anybody does. It, uh, my background is certainly going to be different, dramatically different than anyone else's that's, that's wanting to go down this path. So, you know, that's, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. You have to love it. If you're in it for solely the money, it might be disappointing or maybe not. Maybe you'll get lucky. I have no idea. I absolutely love woodworking and all, all aspects related. And that is what's made, you know, I've, I've, I'm in love with my life. I love what I do. Uh, the money is meh, but growing. I, I, can, see, I can see the potential that's, that's happening uh, every day. And it's a slow growth, but I'm patient. Uh, I, um, I'm, I'm persistent and I'm staying passionate. All of that is is honestly, and I and I say this in in all sincerity, that is that is beautiful. That is a ideal way to be running your life and your business. To still want to wake up every day and be happy about what you're doing. And I'm not saying that you don't get frustrated or, or, you know, doing, doing your marketry. And, and I'm sure there's days where you are, you are not the happiest person to be around, but overall you are doing what you want to be doing. And, and with the not having a roadmap and not having a magic potion, that's true, but people learn from experience and you have a tremendous amount of experience to be teaching the world and and that's what you're doing how how do i want to say this i, I want to say what is something about me giving advice <laughs> yeah like, i don't want to <laughs> well i i hear i hear what you're saying and and i i do and this is usually the part in the show where i ask people who have who have been there who have climb that mountain and are looking back at the successes they have they still know that they're they're not at the peak there there's always more to climb but you look back and you and you see what's worked for you and what can you share with the community as a whole and i know that you share a lot of things daily with people about this so there might there isn't an exact answer, but I'm sure you have a takeaway. I have one one little thing I, I would I would like to share. Perfect. I think it's really important if you're going to be a furniture maker to to either have the skills already or take some classes, learn how to sharpen. That is so fundamental. That is going to help you. You don't need to. I, I hear people saying. You know, you, you know, to learn to use a card scraper correctly, it's going to take a year. That's ridiculous. It, that, that, find out 
what's really important to me when it's when it's all about processes this this came from my production manager background is not showing somebody how to move their hands to create whatever technique or process or you know situation that they're trying to do but understand for instance when you're sharpening you're trying to get two planes of metal to come to a sharp point right that's that's the goal all this stuff about sandpaper and glass and you know Japanese water stones and torment those are all the means to get there there is no one way to do it and people will argue that and that's fine I think the bottom line is a sharp tool that's that's what that's the goal so I'm the guy that says use whatever tool to make the job happen fastest I am not a hand tool purist by any means I am not completely you know uh headstrong for for machines high-end machines or machines in general i think whatever tool works the best i mean there's sometimes a joiner is the best tool and there's sometimes that a hand plane is going to do a better job than the joiner but uh, that is just experience and learning those key components of what what you need to make that happen is really important you know learning how to sharpen, learning those fundamentals, learning why joinery works the way it does, what makes a strong joint. When do you use screws in furniture? I use screws in furniture. I think it's ridiculous when I hear people say that screws don't belong in fine furniture. Look at a hidden joint. You might find, you might be surprised that there's a screw in there. The screw could just be a clamp until something went together, it gets covered up. Now, if you're building your, your your furniture components and it's just screwed together well that that's that's where you know that's where you can see that that would be a problem but learning all this stuff it takes experience and you can you can get past a lot of the pitfalls or learning bad habits by going to a school or, or a class it doesn't have to be a you know a whole year long and you know a lot that that would be a very expensive but you can take classes and you know they're they're available all over the country and now with zoom and you know over the internet so so taking classes and learning some some areas that that you're not uh, quite efficient yet can really propel you past some of those hurdle uh past some of those blocks that uh, you normally would have now you took it very much to the the technical side but i think it also works for the for for the well we'll say the spiritual side of woodworking and 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 furniture making where there isn't just one tool for the job like you said there's a lot of ways to sharpen a tool and bear with me here i know i i don't want to romanticize the industry but if you think of yourself and your furniture business as a tool, just like we've been saying, there is no right way to do it. It's the way that works for you to get mm. that end result. And I know that, you know, that might be a little out there for some people, but that is the way I think about it, that you can use all the different things in your arsenal, all the things that you've learned 
from all the different mentors you've had in your life to build the furniture company that works for you. You know, that is absolutely true. There, there are so many ways to do a lot of Every time I'm on Instagram and I see someone doing something different than I do, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. You, either you've already tried it that way or it's a different way to do it. And we're all learning from each other at this exponential rate right now because of social media and the way we can share knowledge. It's amazing. And why not take advantage of that? I mean, you know, I used to cut all my dovetails by hand. <laughs> and, I, and I still can. I would take, it'd take, it'd probably take a little bit of practice to get back where I was efficient but and i used to do a lot of shows a lot of uh, furniture shows mostly local or or out of state not too far but i remember being at a show and somebody was commenting on my drawers and they said oh those are really nice box joints and they were they were dovetails they were hand cut and it dawned on me then that the only people that really truly appreciated dovetails were other woodworkers and I wasn't building my furniture for other woodworkers. I was building them for clients. So I decided to figure out a different way to cut dovetails. And for years, and I don't do, I don't, you know, I don't, well, some of my pieces don't even have drawers, but, or dovetails. But if they do, I use uh, beveled blades with eight degrees at the table saw. And I was having my blades ground to eight degrees before you could buy blades that are already eight degrees. So whatever works for you, you know, it, uh, you have to be, well, you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to be efficient, but for me, if I'm going to be cutting a lot of drawers and they, I need them, I want them all to be dovetailed and I might even use a dovetail jig. Um, it, it really depends on what you resonate with and, and what feels right to you. If you want to cut them all by hand, that's a great accomplishment. You can tell everybody that you can cut them all by hand that feels good, then do that, right? Yeah, whatever way works and that works for the physical side, the psychological side, the emotional side, every part of the business. And I know I know we took a little bit of a turn in this in this episode and and in this conversation and I don't think it's a bad thing. I I think that not talking necessarily about the ins and outs of your your pricing and and structuring your company and and things like that that's all that's all great stuff to hear but i really like the direction of this of this episode and i think that people can take just as much away from it as if we got into the the ones and zeros of it so i know that you have a lot of information out there and a wealth of knowledge outside of this conversation that all people need to do is search your name or even just reach out to you and they can they can go into greater depth about some of your business practices and things like that but i really truly appreciate you taking us on your journey and and going beyond just the the skin deep of your company and into the heart of it so thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And I really do appreciate you sharing your your knowledge and your passion and your help um, with with this community, not only now, but for the 40 years that you've been doing this. 
Man, Ethan, I, I got to tell you, I really appreciate you inviting me on the show. I, I apologize for going on on a on a different tangent than your than the premise of your uh no you know, not at all this, show is, is. this is it this is this is the premise <laughs> this is how you built this is how you built your company this is it yeah i uh i have a, a little saying that i used to really say to myself but when i was teaching marketry classes up at our local college i realized you know a lot of the students would be asking me questions or uh, you know just different things that I hadn't thought of to actually teach because I was so used to doing the process myself. And I, I realized, and I came with a little saying that I have in my head when I, when I do teach is the more you teach, the more you learn, because it's an amazing thing that, uh, you know, the more you give, the more you receive, it kind of goes hand in hand with that. So there's, there's spiritual side with that. And I, I love, I love that. Um, I, I am kind of a spiritual person. I, I believe in, in good karma and doing good and it coming back. And that's not really why you do it, but I just feel, it just feels good to share. It feels good to show people. And, you know, I, I, I love, I love the opportunity. I appreciate the opportunity and um, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to building a furniture brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.